Hello, here's Christian. I'm heading the company building unit Forward 31 of Porsche Digital, and I'm very delighted to be here in the room together with Tim Leberecht, the co-CEO, co-founder, and co-curator of the House of Beautiful Business. This is a brand new episode of the Next Visions and House of Beautiful Business podcast. So, Tim, we're in Berlin. Where are we exactly? Well, first of all, there's a lot of co's in my yeah, title. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thank you for this cooperation. Good and it feels like we've been co-living in this lounge here uh, in Berlin Mitte at Tucholsky Palace for weeks, if not months. Um, at least we uh, are able to meet in person. The two speakers of the next episode of our podcast, Naomi Ryan and Lisa Jaspers, Unlike all the other contributors, by the way, of this series, they actually know each other. They know each mm -hmm. other well. In fact, they wrote a book together called Starting a Revolution on how female leaders can inform new qualities and role models for the future of business and beyond. Uh, Naomi Ryland is the managing partner at TBD and Lisa Jaspers is the CEO of Folk Days. And in their conversation, they talk about new work, new leadership, new role models. Then let's listen to these co-authors of this fantastic book. I'm very curious to hear it. So, Naomi, do you want to, like, maybe we should introduce ourselves, but maybe it's even nicer if we do it, Each if other. we introduce the other, which yes. I find always easier to um, say something nice about another person than about oneself. So, <laughs> <laughs> For some people. I don't know. Do you want to start or should I start? I can start. So uh, Lisa Jaspers is a very, very wonderful person, a very, very good friend of mine who I treasure dearly. She's also the founder of Folk Days, which is one of Germany's most innovative and progressive fair trade companies that works together with producers um, in lots of different countries to bring their traditionally handmade clothes and products to the German and European market. And uh, she's also an activist and an author with me of the book, Starting Revolution, What We Can Learn from Female Entrepreneurs About the Future of Business. Mm -hmm. And a very caring and energetic person and mother of two children, of course, <laughs> unbelievably. <laughs> Thanks. I'm, I'm about to cry when you talk about me like that. So I just have to... Um, okay, so... <clears throat> Naomi Ryland is one of my oldest Berlin friends. My first job ever, Naomi worked with me, or I took over her job basically because she went to a master's class. And I remember when I met her for the first time, I was super impressed and also really like attracted in a human way to her because she was so, she has the spirit of you can do anything you want. And I think when I started my first job, that was something, she was as young as me, even like a little younger. And I was really kind of insecure and I was like, well, I don't know anything. And she was just this person who was like, you know, and then I did that and that, and you know, I did, they didn't want that, but I just did it anyhow. So she's, she's super strong headed. She's really determined. I think driven from a very similar place than me you know, observing the world and like recognizing the differences and privilege and trying to do something about that. I think she's also very much driven. Well, I know she's very much driven of this feeling of injustice and wanting to, you know, change something for the better in her life. The more personal side of her, she's a really incredible entrepreneur as well. She's always coming up with new ideas and business models and ideas that actually contribute and that create a value. 
She founded uh, TBD, which is a platform for people who want to do good work-wise and who don't know where to start. And I think from just more or less a job platform, they managed to build like a really big and very important and also like warm community around this kind of issue, you know, trying to make the world a better place. So they are the go-to spot where people can find anything they want to find if they are looking for a life with more purpose. Yeah. And she's also the co-author of our book. She's also an excellent writer, which was very lucky for me because I'm okay, but she's really good. So yeah. And she's actually one of my most favorite sparing partners in the whole wide world. So I feel privileged to be able to do this podcast with her because I think in many ways we are very similar in approaching stuff, but also we are as personalities very different. So I feel like talking to her always, you know, broadens my horizon and gives me stuff to think about and also challenge myself. So, so yeah, that's Naomi. <laughs> Thank you. Well, we just do this for the whole session. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and now you again. <laughs> Maybe it's a nice starting point because I feel like we both have trouble being happy and especially big problems, being proud of what we do in our lives. And I know that, I don't know when, but it was a couple of years, of years back, I was proposing to starting something like a little club with female entrepreneurs where we basically only tell each other how great we are. Because I don't know, sometimes as a boss, you're, you're not in a position to get that kind of feedback. You know, your employees, even if they think that they don't feel like, you know, I should tell her how great she is because she probably knows. And also there's a really... Like there's a, a side, especially in me, but I also have seen that in others, that that's sometimes missing, you know, like just knowing through all the ups and downs, it's okay to be the way you are and you, you know, manage. So I don't know now, do you think we should still start that? Or maybe we just write a book about <laughs> how companies can start doing that. Oh, or we just did that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I guess we've had a, a lot of feedback from female entrepreneurs and other women in business from the book who've been kind of like, you know, who found that what we've said has sort of resonated with them and are looking for other people to sort of connect with and to share those experiences because choosing this way um, can be a bit lonely sometimes. It feels a bit hard and it's good to know there are other people out there who are kind of on the same journey and and doing the work and I know we were talking, we spoke yesterday a little bit about this whole idea of feedback and how important that is in the workplace, not just positive feedback, but also negative feedback. And you were comforting me because I just had what I found to be quite a tough feedback round, which we've started as a result of, of you. <laughs> <laughs> um, so before in our company, we weren't super good at giving each other feedback. Actually, we were better at giving each other positive feedback, I think, um, and not so good at the negative feedback, which I think is quite common and lots of people struggle with. And yes, uh, sort of you you found that in, in your company, right, that one of the most important developments for your own happiness and for the happiness of your employees had been actually starting to give each other really honest and authentic feedback in a structured way. And so we started to do that too. And it's really hard because um, it's not something that we're used to. So to start with, you know, you're hearing things from people that, you know, 
you might already know about yourself, but you don't want to necessarily accept, or maybe it's just things that are their perspective. And, you know, it's not necessarily like the tr- the object of truth and, and that's okay, but it's still hard to hear. But it's so important to have that open communication and, and in doing so you learn so much about yourself and how you come across to other people and just how how different sometimes different people's perspectives are on things. And so I'm I'm looking forward to the good times <laughs> because I'm, I'm still in the phase of the process that I'm finding it quite hard. But as you said yesterday, either they say it behind your back or they say it to your face. <laughs> and this way they say it to your face and then you can actually do something about it. So I'm... Um, I'm really excited to see where that takes us as a company. And I'm using you as an inspiration because I am, you know, super inspired by the journey that you've gone on. And and I know that it's a continual journey. And I'm reassured by the fact that you still, you know, struggle with certain things with your employees and and with yourself. But to get to a place where you really feel completely f- fulfilled and happy with your work is something I think that everybody really aspires to. So yeah, perhaps you want to share a little bit about your journey to get there. Probably the most, so the most important part of that journey probably started with a whole feedback issue because for the first time in my life, I felt like the image that others had of me was very different from the image I had of myself. I guess before that, I never really was confronted with that because I'm sure that was, I had that before, but but I think the second most important step on that journey was also kind of, realizing that a lot of the topics I was struggling with were actually topics that I'm not alone with, which I came to realize in conversations I had with you and also with other founders, especially female founders, and then deciding to do something about it. And actually, you know, I mean, you had the idea of writing this book because we were basically like, okay, you know, this is, so we are learning from people we work with that, the way we are acting as bosses is not motivating because we apply pressure and we are, you know, quite, we're not trusting enough and we are not, we are, we are micromanaging a lot more than we should. And so all these, you know, kind of critique point that I, I know that were totally true and honest. And then you're left with this feeling of, okay, but, but what else, you know, what can I do? I have no role model, no inspiration of, how to be a boss that's different from, you know, the image of a boss that we were socialized in and also almost everybody else. So there's this image and there are very, very little alternatives out there. I mean, we, we read business books and we watched TED Talks and we, <laughs> we try to, you know, kind of wrap our heads around. We talk to other entrepreneurs and we felt like there's no... There's no inspiration that really feels natural and intuitive to us, especially um, at the beginning of our journey. And so what really helped me during the last, yeah, one and a half years, I'd say, or since we started this journey, I think, to have people I can look up to and say, this is how I want to be as a boss. Or maybe not entirely, but these are aspects I really like about her being a boss. And I think this is something that I still enjoy a lot about our book is that, I mean, we interviewed different women, different entrepreneurs, and our the most important selection point was that they actually, you know, did something very different and that they didn't accept business as usual advice in terms of how to be a good boss, but they basically listened to themselves and got to know themselves and develop their own style. And I really love 
the variety of styles we found out there. And I think this is also something that, I mean, if somebody asked us, you know, like, what's the main takeaway of our book? Now, you, you once said, like, there's only one main takeaway that, you know, you should not accept anything that is smells like business as usual or smells like a wisdom that is kind of, you shouldn't even touch that, you know. So question everything that has to do with business as usual. And this is something I'm still doing on a daily basis. I'm still trying to figure out what kind of boss I am. We talked about this before, but I had this, I had a quite important phase where there were business developments that challenged me, but also were very exciting. And I was still used to this image of being a strong boss, you know, like not showing my insecurities, not showing my fears, not showing my being scared. And during that process, I realized that's very stupid. <laughs> if you have a team that you like, and if you have people around you that you chose to be with you on this journey, why hide your weaknesses and why hide your you being scared because in the end they will notice anyhow they like they ask me how I am and they can tell right away if there's something wrong with me so for the first time in my career I decided just a couple of weeks ago for the first time to actually share like very fundamental and you know very deep insecurities and fears I had about a business process and I was overwhelmed by the support and love I got from the people around me and also having an open conversation about how this fear and well in English there's a good term in German it doesn't exist but imposter syndrome this is something I was struggling very hard with that that's something that's quite usual <laughs> for a lot of people that I consider very smart excellent brilliant people you know that helped me a lot so I'm not sure if I will ever arrive you know I don't know I just think just when you said then about the whole business as usual thing I got like the sort of revolutionary <laughs> in me was awoken again because I was just like even if you don't know what the right way is or you're not you know sure it just it just we just can't carry on like we're carrying on right now and I think that was the kind of like motivation for me with writing this book because I had the feeling as a female entrepreneur you're always kind of made to feel like you're not quite doing things right somehow maybe not I'm not going to generalize all female entrepreneurs but I was made to feel also as a social entrepreneur that, you know, by sort of like typical entrepreneur friends in my, you know, in our network and uh, conferences and everything, like looking at what the kind of norm was and how you were expected to behave and um, be a boss and, you know, present yourself and raise money and interact with investors and all of those things. It felt like I didn't want to do it like that. So I was trying other ways, but it was always kind of like looked down on a bit or like, you know, a social business isn't like a real business. And, you know, if you're not kind of completely profit driven, then, you know, if you're not like, if you're not interested in becoming, you know, taking over all sorts of different markets and, you know, then you're not, you know, doing a proper business. And, and then at some point I was just like, you know, this way of business that you're all following is what's, you know, led us down this drain. <laughs> of, you know, climate change and massive inequalities and, you know, people just being miserable at work, you know, that, that alone is, is enough. And this idea that business as usual is just the way that it has to be and you've got to do, you know, follow that way and do that thing just to be like, no, actually, maybe we don't know what the right way is. Maybe we don't have the perfect solutions, but, you know, we've got to kind of try and yeah, I guess that sort of like comes back to the whole thing of needing kind of support and from your team or from your 
from your network of people who kind of think similarly because it can feel a bit like yeah you're sort of like almost sort of looked down on or you're sort of going a bit of a lonely a lonely path although things are changing a little bit now as I think more and more people are kind of seeing that the systems that we're living in at the moment aren't necessarily the ones that we want to hold on to because I mean they're basically failing us as a species Mm. (laughs) you know it's like I don't know. Every day we are dehumanizing ourselves by making being complicit in a system that drains us. I had this thought once when I was still working for a consultancy. I was like, such a weird concept that I'm I'm working my ass off. I'm suffering quite a lot. I'm putting myself under so much pressure. And the person who's going to profit the most from it is somebody I don't even know, or maybe mm. even somebody I hate because he's already so privileged and in a position of power that, you know, he can just basically, you know, financially destroy me one from one day to the other by just, you know, letting me go. And this is such a strange concept that we are all kind of going along with that, that basically the majority of people are working or creating value. I mean, of course you're paid, but the way the economy works is you're paid enough to stay, but you're not, not paid the amount of money that you're work is worth, mm-hmm. right? I mean, yeah. otherwise we would be in a very evenly distributed, then probably people who work in hospitals and uh, taking care of elderly, they would be the millionaires and mm-hmm. everybody else would just be paid okay because <laughs> they're actually not system relevant. <laughs> you know, people at the supermarket would be paid a lot more. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think that's quite an interesting concept that we are just all accepting this it's funny because when we when we chose the title for the book and when we started writing and finished the book, I feel like we tapped into this revolutionary side of us. And now it feels like it has been so, over the last year since the book came out, I feel like we have been both radicalized because we've allowed ourselves to imagine or to question these kind of fundamental threats that hold our society together and actually make... People like Jeff Bezos, was it was it 13 billion? I think, yeah, in, in one day. 13 billion dollars in one day richer mm. in a country where a huge amount of people is unemployed and on food stamps and lining up in, in rows to get enough food to feed their family. Mm. And it's just, it's crazy. I mean, it's really, really crazy. And and maybe, you know, I know everybody's sick of Corona talk, but I'm hoping that, you know, just spending more time with your family and your loved ones. And of course, I mean, there are many, many parts in this world where people are struggling immensely. And I don't want to suggest at all that Corona is something positive, but, you know, I'm, I'm a little bit hoping that people will at least, you know, hold on for a second and be like, okay, you so am I going back now to everything as it was before is this mm. my plan or is does that feel totally wrong mm. i think most people will feel, have that feeling and then they just ignore it and go back mm. but i'm hoping that at least some people will be like okay you know i've just had the experience of what it feels like to be more autonomous and more self organized and more you know not in this culture where i feel like i'm just being used so i don't know i'm just wondering what will come from that? Mm. I have to just think of Stephanie Shirley. 
because I, I don't know, maybe it's difficult to imagine sometimes, you know, the, all of these ideas sound a bit utopian or, you know, maybe it's difficult to imagine, okay, how can it even look or what are the alternatives? And, you know, I, I love Stephanie Shirley, who's one of the women that we interviewed for the book. And she's a British German, actually, entrepreneur from the 1960s who founded a tech company. She was a software developer herself. And she wasn't allowed to continue working because she had kids and was married. This was the 60s. And so she founded a company from home and employed only other women who could also only work from home. So she was kind of like the first or one of the first remote businesses and one of the first uh, sort of like women only tech businesses. Um, I don't know if there are even any of those now. Um, (laughs) And, you know, without having any, you know, she was basically the only female entrepreneur that she knew she used to sign her letters as Steve because otherwise she wouldn't be taken seriously. And regardless, she decided to do things differently and for example, uh, gave her employees shares in the company and not just kind of like the sort of few shares that a lot of startups give their employees just to make them feel a bit better about not being paid very much. She actually gave them the majority of the company so that they would have uh, not only uh, massive financial benefits, you know, many of them actually became millionaires because the company was extremely successful, but they were also able to decide about the um, strategy and the future of the company and and block decisions, you know, if they felt like that wasn't good for them as as employees. And, you know, she really gave up that control because she felt that, you know, the people who are putting in that value into the company should also be getting it out. And it's pretty straightforward you know and it's just a question of you know justice and she wasn't a sort of lefty at all in fact I think probably (laughs) slightly or at least apolitical but she just felt like you know that's that's just how I want to run my business that's the values that I live in my life and of course you know why should I separate why should I have different values in my business and she was you know extremely proud and extremely happy and extremely fulfilled by that whole endeavor and also became you know, obviously quite wealthy herself, but um, has actually committed to giving away all of her wealth um, during her lifetime to, to charities. So there are there are examples out there where we get all of these headlines about Jeff Bezos, you know, increasing his wealth, as you just mentioned. There are so many examples out there that we don't hear about of just different ways of doing business. And, you know, some of them we tried to highlight in the book, but there are, there are many more out there. And, and it is possible for everybody just to kind of you know, to especially, you know, for people in positions of power and privilege to just sit back and be like, what do I actually want to get out of this business or this life? <laughs> what am I really trying to, to achieve or what's really going to give me that feeling of, of fulfillment? And I think uh, part of that is also just getting to know yourself a bit better because we're also socialized to believe that, you know, status and money and all of these things are going to give us that feeling And of course, you know, you need a certain amount of money. But at the end of the day, that's not going to be, you know, the extra kind of 10,000 euros a month or whatever it is. Yeah, it's, I'm often asked, I have a fair fashion business. So I'm basically making, our business model is that we're selling stuff to people. And, but also our business is to make the whole, you know, consumption world more sustainable and make people more conscious of their consumption. So that's a little tricky one, right? I mean, we're basically trying to convince people not to buy so much, but then we're selling stuff. So when I'm asked by journalists, what is like, what do you think people can change, you know, to be more sustainable? 
there are a lot of advice I can give, but I mean, there's basically one advice that I feel like everybody can do, no matter how much they spend on clothes or whatever, is to ask yourself how happy you are in your life. Because I know from myself and I know from others that there's a very strong link, and you've just mentioned it, Naomi, um, between feeling sad and empty and consuming. I remember when I was very unhappy in my jobs, I would spend my Saturdays shopping and buying stuff because that made me feel better about myself. I was trying to treat myself, you know. And it's interesting because I think I've never earned so little money as I do right now, but there's no need for buying stuff. I mean, first of all, I have a lot of beautiful stuff <laughs> that we are producing, which I'm also buying. I mean, I don't get it for free at Folk Days, but I just feel like it just disappeared, you know. The need for buying stuff disappeared, you know. Of course, there's necessary stuff I'm buying, but I think the whole like hyper-consumption that we are living in, it's fueled by our pain and our insecurities and being exploited in a system that doesn't tell us ever that we're good enough, but always tries to put a carrot in front of us to jump higher. And so I think a lot of things can be solved in society if people start questioning if this is the life they are satisfied with or if there's something else that they want to, you know, maybe consider doing because they're just really unhappy. And I know that this is definitely a question of privilege, no question about it. But I do think that it is something and, you know, that quite a lot of people can ask themselves because there are a lot of privileged people in Germany. <laughs> and I think it's their duty to change the system to something better for the people who don't have the free choice or don't have the choice. So I think, you know, finding out what will make you happy. And that's really hard. I mean, it's not something that you're just like, oh, I know what makes me happy. It has a lot to do with getting to know yourself and also getting to know your insecurities and your weaknesses and also maybe your strengths, you know. And for me personally, it was really important asking myself what I actually enjoy doing because all my life, the focus of me had always been on the things I thought I was good in and never on the things I actually enjoyed. That started in school, basically. I mean, I had to go back to times before elementary school to actually remember what I loved as a child, you know, what made me happy. And so I think that's also a question that we very rarely ask ourselves. And I personally can tell you that if you get to this point where you find th something that actually gives joy to your life, there's so much energy that comes from that. I have a lot of people that sometimes ask me, how can you do so many things at the same time and have two kids? I think that comes from that place of energy and doing stuff I enjoy and that interests me. So do you feel like, I mean, obviously we've both been kind of, we were already sort of like on the journey when we started writing the book and then we talked to some of these women really for our own sake, right? So to kind of find out from them, okay, how are they doing um, management and business and figuring things out? I just talked about Stephanie uh, Shirley. Who, who do you think was your one of your sort of like main inspirations for your kind of journey? It's hard to say. I mean, I guess from my like interest of, of like business interest, I thought Catherine Mahugo from Kenya was amazing. I mean, she's she started her business way younger than me and she, you know, kind of, came up with this network, with this platform for artisans in Kenya who can now basically export their products to the whole world, uh, very high quality jewelry. 
And she's just, I think I, what I loved about her, that she was just so, she was challenging also a lot of stuff, but also it felt like she almost walked past the system. You know, she was like, and then I did that and that. And yeah, you know, it seemed like they didn't think I could do it, but I did it anyhow. So she had this really, like, she has this really interesting, I think maybe also natural born confidence in her own abilities, which I found really inspiring. I think Joanna Beidenbach from Berlin was one of the women I loved talking to a lot because she's just, she's older and she, you know, has been on this journey for a long time. And I think she's also somebody who's very open about, you know, looking back at what she did in her company. I mean, she basically got rid of her own position as a CEO and she gave the whole power to her team and she created a situation where she was basically not used as a, or not needed as a boss anymore. I think that's something really brave and also very kind of visionary to do for the good of, of a company, you know, to basically, you know, kind of fire yourself. <laughs> I think what I learned from her and what is something that I talk to many people about is this whole aspect of that new work needs inner work. She wrote a book about this with uh, Bettina Rollo as well. And I think this is something that a lot of people I find sometimes a little bit naive about. They are like, okay, new work, so cool, let's do it. Let's get rid of structure. Let's get rid of hierarchies and everybody will just function. And she's like, no, you know, this is not how it's going to work. I mean, before that functions, we all have to go on a journey and really meet ourselves, get to know ourselves and also get to know, you know, what are our fears? Because if there are no structures, there will be a lot more insecurities. And the only way to deal with these insecurities is to find that strength inside yourself and also inside of others and in the relationship with others. So I think this is something that will be like her book is very much needed in the whole world of new work because I know so many people and entrepreneurs who were just like, oh, that sounds cool. I don't have to be, have to do the shitty boss stuff anymore. I can just, you know, do what I most enjoy, meaning, uh, you know, come up with new ideas and basically get rid of all the non-fun stuff. And and I've, I've witnessed quite a lot of companies um, who've moved to other organizational models and they, they didn't manage to create a culture or, you know, like a business environment where people could actually develop themselves and create this kind of security that Joanna and Bettina are talking about. And they have created a situation where many people are very, very unhappy, very insecure, and where they basically are still in power, but just not still doing the stuff that they should do in terms of, you know, setting goals and stuff like that. So this is something that really resonated with me. And although I don't have a holocratic business, I feel like before I can be a good boss, I have to be a good boss to myself, you know? So like this inner work, like you need to do inner work before you can actually take anything into your company. I think that's something that, that resonated a lot. And I know Naomi, I mean, you kind of changed the structure of your your business. So I think that's definitely also something that you've been yeah. struggling with, right? Yeah, Joanna's definitely been a kind of go-to for me in the last year because we've done a transition from being a hierarchical company to a self-organized company. And so a similar process to, to what Joanna went through and, and has shared a lot about. And I can definitely agree that there's been a lot of inner work going on on my part and on the whole team. You know, everybody's really thrown themselves into it. And it's been incredibly challenging, but 
rewarding experience and I, I wouldn't say we're at the end of it you know we still constantly hit kind of like bumps in the road but we've really you know done a huge amount of work in strengthening yeah everybody's ability to really you know make decisions contribute to strategy figure out you know what's what's best for the company and to share that kind of pressure and responsibility but yeah it's it's definitely you know, and part of that is the whole like feedback experience. So in this kind of environment, you have to be able to communicate extremely clearly to your employees um, or your um, team, you know, what's going on within you and not necessarily just kind of be triggered. So for example, you know, through the whole Corona experience, I think kind of like slipped back into some of my old ways of, you know, feeling a lot of pressure and taking a lot of pressure and to a certain extent passing that pressure on. And have really now been like reflecting on on that and trying to figure out what you can do differently. And I don't know, maybe, you know, seeing, trying to figure out what, where that pressure comes from and what it's, what it's doing to you. And I think often pressure is a sort of fear, you know, you're, you get so worried about your, your company and rather than just sharing that fear, like you said, you know, with your, with your team, you tend to sort of, yeah, it comes out as like frustration or or anger or pressure <laughs> and um if you are able to kind of like zoom out for a second and just be like okay wait a second you know I'm just actually really struggling here and I need some support or I need to share something or I need to yeah I need to sort of open up then you get get a kind of different response from your team and and probably like a different development in the company so yeah, still lots to work on, but it's been it's been a really good experience. I remember we I think we quoted her also in our book Ida Tin, who found Clue, and she also said that you know you know that you need to create a place within your company to share these fears because you know other people also have fears, and I think she also said that you know if you're not sharing your fears as a as a boss, other people won't as well because then something like being scared is considered. Um, something bad mm. and I think if you want to be a good boss you know showing that it's just I really like how you describe this like fear comes from being worried feeling responsible you know not wanting you know any harm to happen to anybody who works for you or you know so I think to actually also try to understand where this fear comes from um, is super important and it's something that I haven't Put a lot of time into. I think for me, I realize I often realize that this fear also of being not enough, like not being good enough as a as a person, not smart enough, not working hard enough. I think there's definitely a big part of this fear coming from also of being discovered as somebody who like why is she in that place? Like why does she think she can you know do what she's doing? So, but I do think there's also a lot of like kind of taking responsibility for others and trying to create a stable environment and, you know, not trying to not hit the bumps in the road, but that they are there and that's life. And you also kind of infantilize or you treat your employees as children. If you, you know, if you don't share also your worries, because then you're a little bit like, Oh, maybe they can't handle that, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think this is something that is also very much stuck in our heads and also maybe of some of the revolutionaries we talked to. And I think this is something that, we have to unbox as well, you know? Mm. And I think this is a topic, I mean, all of the women we talk to, I think one of the things they all said is, 
you have to create a place where you can bring yourself as a whole person to work, you know, mm. with all your ups and downs, with all your strengths and weaknesses. And at least for myself, I can say that a lot of the unhappiness that I felt came from having to hide a lot of my own personality that I thought wasn't appropriate in a workspace. And that is a lot of positive emotion, enthusiasm. You know, I'm somebody who can be really, you know, kind of, I'm a very positive person, but also, of course, negative emotions, insecurities and stuff like that. So mm. I think for my own happiness, and I think also for most of the women we talk to, the most important step was to actually be yourself at work, mm. to be exactly who you are, who you want to be. And that doesn't mean that you also have topics to work on. And I think they would all sign that. But mm. um, to to feel like you can be your authentic self and you not have to pretend that you're somebody you're not and put a mask on. That sounds like a good sort of piece of advice <laughs> to, to end on for managers and leaders and, well, employees, if, if they're allowed to do that. Is there, is there anything else that you would suggest mm. as a sort of learning point? Now it's your turn to suggest something. <laughs> maybe I have time to come up with something else. It's <laughs> already quite good. I'm just going to go back to the, the one that you already mentioned, the um, to question everything. You know, just this idea that we get told or we have been told so many narratives or given so many ideas about how to do business and how to be a boss. And just to, to question, you know, sometimes like, wait, what am I doing right now? Like, why, why am I doing this? Why am I speaking to this person like this? What, what's driving that? And to really just to try and kind of like break down some of those habits and some of, some of those, that socialization and to come back to a sort of, yeah, intuition and yeah, a bit of a revolution. <laughs> yeah, I'm on board. I think, I think there's a big need for change. And I think there are a lot of people out there who are trying to come up with solutions. And I mean, some we've talked to and you've mentioned that before. I mean, there are many, many out there that we haven't talked to, but either they are organized in groups like Zebras Unite in the US or even here in Germany, or, you know, maybe they also just kind of think, oh, we're just doing stuff differently and don't even realize that there are others out there who actually mm. are trying to do things differently as well. So, you know, if there's something that I feel like I want to wanna be doing with everything we've created around the book is to maybe also find a way to connect this community of people who are brave enough and who are fed up with the status quo and who think this is not the world I want to live in and who need other people to go on that path together. Because, mm. I mean, we talk a lot about these things. This is like being revolutionary is sometimes really lonely. So I think having people on your side who you can turn to if you question yourself again and again and if you need um, affirmation that this is the right way, you know, this is the thing that is needed so much because otherwise we will all suffer alone and, and there's no need for that. So um, I don't know. I'm really excited about what's going to happen. We get a lot of emails and people try to convince us to do something like that because they feel like they need it. So, so we're brainstorming about it. Um, we, we really are planning on, on offering something that will help, be it a, like a peer-to-peer -peer coaching or something like that. But yeah, so, um, so if you want to, I don't know, keep posted follow us on Instagram or 
visit our website and leave your email address starting slash earth slash revolution.com and yeah we hope to see you hear you whatever read you soon yes thank you wow uh, two very amazing women we listened to so um tim what is your key takeaway Ah, oh, so many one line stood out for me that was new work is inner work mm -hmm. new work is obviously just very fashionable yeah a term but increasingly i think we've seen people turn inward saying that if you want to transform your organization if you want to transform society if you want to have a real impact if you want to grow as a leader as a business you need to turn inward you need to work on yourself so that you can inspire others and that you're open for new ideas and that as george bernhard shaw said the windows through which you see the world they're they're clear mm -hmm. instant quote from mr tim leverecht <laughs> <laughs> so actually i'm curious now um tim who is your role model that is a very tough question i don't have oh gosh i don't have any idols in that sense I mean, I, I always admired artists a lot. And since mm -hmm. we're at Tucholsky Palace yeah. uh, recording this, I am a huge fan actually of Kurt Tucholsky, whom the street What is named after. Accident. Yeah, <laughs> it's really true. And I, I particularly like the letters that he uh, wrote to maybe the love of his life. But in terms of role models, I think I actually learned, I always learned more from people who were not my bosses, but mm -hmm. more people that I managed in a way when I was a manager still in corporate. You know, just, I think learning about their expectations and how they perform and what they expect from a leader. So I can't point to a single father or mother figure or idol in that sense. How about you? Well, actually, as you started quoting so nice, I will do the same. And it's more profane, I would say. I remember there was a speech of Matthew McConaughey at the Oscar, a commencement speech, basically. And he said, I think there are three things that are inspirational for him. It's basically uh, someone you can look up to someone he can look forward to and someone he can chase. And I think basically someone he can chase was the role model basically in the idol. And the question was, who is that? And he said, basically, that's me in 10 years. And it was very funny because he was then asked after 10 years, okay, now you are 10 years older. Are you that role model? And he said, no, it's still me in 10 years. And I think that's a beautiful picture I like to have for myself. So it's also, like you said, I have, I think along the way, Several people I met where I have, I, I do a little bit cherry picking where specific characteristics where I say, I like that, I want to absorb that, adapt that, um, but it's not a single person, to be honest. It's the same. Something they, they also talked about is, of course, uh, feminine leadership. Mm -hmm. And that is an interesting notion as it applies to business culture or startup culture. And we see that embodied by. For example, Jacinda Ardern, the Prime Minister of New Zealand, the way she leads, she famously said, you can be kind and, um, and friendly and still be assertive and impactful. And what we're witnessing, I believe, and what we need is an overcoming of the kind of macho management culture that has so long shaped um, the workplace and business culture, and that in many ways is really haunting us and is actually very detrimental to what we really want to achieve in, in our societies. And it's interesting in a startup area, there is this movement of Zebras. Mm -hmm. uh, Zebras Unite is an organization that's behind it. It's really a growing movement and it's essentially developing a concept for startups that is in stark contrast to the idea of super aggressive, fast growing, exponentially growing unicorns. So it's an invitation 
to startup founders to be maybe softer, to be more considerate, to be more conscious and not only pursue growth at all costs, which is often the dictate of VCs. So I don't want to gender this and say this is a this is um, a female thing, but those are maybe feminine qualities, uh, at least as, as they're understood right now in the common mainstream. Shall I degender it? <laughs> yes, degender it. <laughs> I think I just coined a new term, degendering. It's pretty interesting what you say, because one venture we build is actually focusing on female leaders. And I had an interesting discussion with the founders, who are also female, by the way, and they described a lot of characteristics. And what I sensed is there are a lot of character traits that I also apply And they called it also feminine leadership qualities. But I think it's um, things like vulnerability, intuition, they have been always there. It's not um, a masculine. I think it's more like a mainstream that was created. And there is also an interesting quote by Shel Sandberg, uh, who basically said, in future, there are no female leaders, there are only leaders. And I think that's basically what happens right now with new work and this new female perspective. It will create a new mainstream in future. I agree. And I, I think these categories, masculine, feminine, female, male qualities, I mean, they're tools right now help us navigate this conversation. Ultimately, hopefully, we can overcome this kind of binary thinking. And and uh, we just will see a business culture that is much more inclusive and softer and more forgiving and not as sort of single-mindedly aggressive as, as some of the business culture that we've seen and we're still seeing around us. I'm 100% sure it will be mainstream. You know why? There are more zebras in the world uh than unicorns, obviously. So thank you so much for the discussion and was a further wonderful episode of the Next Visions and House of Beautiful Business podcast. So look for further episodes on every podcasting platform. Thank you much, Tim, and looking forward to the next episode. Mm -hmm.